Welcome to Propinquity Press, where we bring people together with the hope that that experience changes the world. We hope you enjoy this selection by author William Spangler Dunning. A Place Beyond Iowa, Part 2. The Power of Receptions. The first time I saw the ocean was in the darkness of the night. Traveling across the Seven Mile Bridge from mainland Florida to Key West. When I pressed my nose against the car window to take in the view, I was both disappointed and strangely welcomed into a completely different part of the universe. I was disappointed because in the moonlight the ocean looked a lot like the mostly flat Iowa farmland I had been surrounded by for most of my earthly stay. Yet, because I was received into this new world with a familiar landscape, I found myself comforted by the fact that this new place, far from home, had similarities to the world I already knew. I believe strongly that this reception into our journey's final destination made it possible for me to receive completely and without resistance the adventure that was to follow in the coming days. I must have fallen asleep or been so tired as we pulled into the Oceanside Campground because I have no memories of setting up the pop-up camper among the palm trees. Yet as my eyes fluttered in the morning sunlight that was streaming through the screened-in canvas window, I remember distinctly the sound of repetitive waves crashing gently on the beach. Waking up in that campground with a gently mixing of smells of salt water and dying marine life drifting through the air confirmed to me that my understanding of this world was about to change. This was definitely not Iowa. My parents often said to all their children, perception is reality. They made it clear that people will judge you by the kind of individuals you choose to hang around. People's perception of who you are is often based on limited and inaccurate information, but just the same, those incomplete perceptions can sometimes create permanent judgments on one's character. Hence why our parents emphasized to each of us the importance of images we might be sending out to others through our actions, words, clothing, and in particular, those whom we chose as friends. Their intended purpose was to warn us against becoming friends with those they considered troublemakers or worse. In general, this rule seemed fair to me, as I nearly always agreed with my parents as to whom the troublemakers and rogue outsiders were. But in the midst of the thicker air of Key West, Florida, it was my family who were now being perceived as the different ones and the potential ne'er-do-wells. We were the different and other people who had just shown up in the middle of the night with our red-toned farmer tans that existed only in places where our clothes did not cover I remember the humorous embarrassment I felt when my family, excited to see the ocean for the first time in our lives, slipped into our Iowa bathing suits and, like a herd of red and white striped lobsters, wandered down to the beach. Apparently, it was the first time the locals had seen a parade of Iowans, too. I know my emotional memory sometimes exaggerates the facts, so it's possible that mothers did not actually cover the eyes of their children when they noticed our two-toned skin. It is even probable that people did not point out our outdated rural bathing suits and initiate a panicked exodus from the beach that day, but in my memory, it felt like that. This feeling of uncomfortable exclusion and perceptual otherness continued for most of the day. 
The thing about experiencing new things and places is that everything is new and different. You don't know the customs or the norms that help you separate what is meant as mean from what is simply different from what you know. The first reaction is to get angry, embarrassed, and want to run away and never explore again anything new. I felt all of that until we arrived at my next new experience, the tuxedo shop. It was then that I remembered I had Martian powers. As the middle-aged shop owner attempted to fit me with a pair of pants, he began to make judgmental comments to me out of his frustration to find just the right size. He started with pants that fit my waist, but they were too short, and when he got the length correct, they would not fit my thighs. When he found a pair that fit my thighs, the pant legs were five inches too long. I heard him say in a whisper, loud enough for me to hear, but not loud enough for my parents to notice. Son, you are an odd one. I have never seen your particular body shape in all my years. You should really cut down on the snacks if you ever hope to get married yourself. His comments could have been hurtful to a developing human child who was still on a journey discovering who he was in this world. However, what he did not know is that every time he went into the back to get a different pair of pants, I simply used my Martian powers to extend my legs a few inches or temporarily pumped up my thighs just to have some fun with him. That was one of the first times I learned to be okay with others' perceptions of me, knowing they did not know who I truly was in this world. My ability to imagine into existence a better world has made all the difference in the person I have become. The strangest thing about my memory of that whole trip to celebrate my oldest brother's wedding is that I don't actually remember going to the ceremony. That's the amazing thing about my human life, is that it has been the moments that often come alongside what I thought was the main event that ended up altering my path in this world and making it possible for me to be okay. So many things happened during those few days on that remote island, so far and so different from our homeland we called Iowa, not a single memory exists of the wedding itself. I know the wedding happened because the event I do remember is the party that came afterwards, the wedding reception. As I watched my brother dance with his new wife, I knew what love was supposed to look like. I noticed my grandparents dancing together, slowly moving around the room and smiling at each other like I imagined they did when they first said their own I do's to each other at their own wedding. My own parents interacted with each other like giddy teenagers and as my mother sat nestled in my father's lap, they kissed each other like newlyweds. Even my saintly sister and my previously naked brother made amends with each other, if only for that night. The joy that I witnessed in that room caused my heart to beat with such energy that my arms and legs began to gyrate in a fashion similar to what my father had done on the roadside outside of Atlanta. However, Due to the love and the hearts of my relatives and just possibly the large amounts of alcohol now coursing through their arteries, they all affirmed that I had just invented a new dance craze. When breakdancing became popular in the early 1980s, a style of dancing that involved the wild contorting of arms and legs while sometimes spinning upside down on one's head, I thought maybe they had been right. However, to be fair and give credit where it is due, my father deserves the real accolades for inspiring me to let my emotions ripple through my body without embarrassment. My memories of that wedding reception exist deep enough in my subconscious that when I sink back into those moments on the dance floor, my arms and legs begin to twitch slightly 
And I remember the most beautiful and completely untrue words spoken by my sister to me. She brought me a glass of punch and sat down beside me as I took a break to rest my feet. As she leaned over and put her arm around me, kissing me on my head slightly, she said with enthusiasm, Where did you learn to dance like that? You have so many talents that I never knew about. The thing is, and this cannot be said with enough emphasis, I knew she was lying and exaggerating the factualness of my human gifts. However, it created a response in me so spectacularly that I went on for 20 minutes about how I had learned how to dance from a television show back home. I even added details of how I had adapted a few moves to make them my own. Everything we said in that exchange with each other was a total and unequivocal lie. Yet, it was also one of the most amazing experiences of my early childhood and formed a deep lifetime bond with my sister, a connection beyond any that I was to have with any of my other siblings. It really was a wonderful moment. And I will always be forever grateful for my sister lovingly lying to me that night. There's something about wedding receptions that makes people act nicer and more willing to risk being vulnerable with each other. My oldest brother's wedding was not only the first one in our immediate family, but he was also the first of the grandchildren to enter into marriage. This primacy in our family seemed to enhance the near heaven-like atmosphere of the reception. As the party continued into the night, members from my new sister-in-law's family began dancing wildly with Iowans in badly fitting tuxes. Beautiful people actually talked to average-looking people. Age-old differences between men and women seemed to pass away. Conversations between individuals of different generations ended in mutual admiration for one another, and world peace broke out all across the globe. I remember standing back and looking across the room as flashing pastel lights of every color softly connected everyone in a harmonious hue of unity and love. Now, I was only 10 years old at the time and had not yet experienced the way humanity can behave so badly that life itself is lost. But as a young, developing human, that night was to serve as a touchstone for how life should be, could be, and must be. It was yet one more moment on this earth that helped me find a way to be okay in the midst of a world that too often is not. When those memories flood back into the person I have become now, it takes the form of a great work of art with people painted in frozen poses, with everyone smiling, dancing, and toasting with their glasses that all would have a great life. I knew, even then, that it could not last, as moments of that significance are too fragile and disappear quickly into the past. Even the vivid colors of my memory that helped me remember the still-frame moments of that night begin to fade gently into my mind if I try to focus on them too long now. However, Each time I glimpse that night and pray that the world could be just the way it was at my brother's wedding reception, that memory is followed by another that changed forever the way I have come to see human beings. It started with a cute dance between almost relatives and ended with a shivering conversation on the outside steps, far from that lovely party. Her name was Madeline, but she quickly asked me to call her Maddie. After that night... We were never to see each other again, but the story she told me has stuck with me for over 40 years and is, at least in part, one of the reasons I knew I had to remain on earth to become the best human possible. 
She watched my frantic movements on the dance floor from a distance, like one watches a wild animal from behind the protective fence of a zoo. I'm sure as a native Floridian, she likely thought all Iowan children acted in such a spasmatic fashion and needed a few moments to determine the safest way to approach me. When she finally came close enough for me to hear her, she put both her hands on my shoulders and asked in a concerned tone, Are you okay? I don't know if it was because she startled me or if it was simply because a beautiful girl had just willingly talked to me, but I immediately ceased my gyrations and began slowly dancing with her. On any other night, that sequence of events would have seemed unbelievable, but during that reception, it seemed to be so normal, as if it was just meant to be. As the night went on and we swayed to the music, she seemed to pull me closer until her head rested delicately on my shoulder. I remember thinking to myself, this is definitely not Iowa. After all, my only previous experience with relationships with girls had involved the throwing of rocks at them in order to let them know I like them. Yet somehow, in the randomness of that magical reception, she had chosen to dance with me. Human beings have five well-known senses that help us interpret the world around us. Sight, smell, touch, taste, and hearing help us navigate through our interactions with others. That night, however, I am sure I experienced the less known human sense of predictive patterns. I guess the sensory function could have been a leftover Martian ability, but I have since that night observed other human beings with this same gift. This sensory function seems to exist in the upper front part of the brain. As when it is active, my eyebrows scrunch upwards towards the center of my forehead and I'm able to see connections between previously unrelated information. The kind of knowing that comes from this particular sense is less precise than the other senses and often only alerts us to the fact that something is not as it seems. When we listen to the connections between disparate details, it causes us to step back for a moment and re-examine what is really happening. And when I did, Maddie took my hand and led me outside for a conversation that still haunts my soul. I don't know why, but you make me feel safe, she said while softly holding my hand. Looking directly into my eyes, she said, this is the best night of my life so far. But she paused and seemed to take a few more moments to make sure I was worthy to receive the private story of her family. I think my parents are going to get a divorce. They've been fighting for most of my life, and my father hits my mother until she stops yelling at him. She hesitated again and waited for me to flinch or pull away, but I just stared back at her. She took my resolute stillness as a sign of much-needed support for her. The truth was a little more complex, as I was in shock, unable to move while I tried to process what she was beginning to tell me. I was trying to reconcile the confident girl who had asked me to dance with the shivering sadness that was now sitting beside me. I remember whispering inside my head how I had known on the dance floor that something was not quite right. Somehow, something inside of me knew with every sway of our dance together that the person she portrayed on the outside to the wider world was just a protective shield to the vulnerable child underneath. I replayed in my mind every word she had said to me, and how unbelievable it seemed that a girl would magically reach out to me. As the images from that night repeated inside my heart, 
I wondered if she had been just as amazed that I was willing to dance with her as I had been that she had asked to dance with me. With every detail she shared with me, her story got more tragic and my innocent view of the world just drifted away into the darkness of the night. I was only 10 years old and completely ignorant as to what one is supposed to do when you hear stories like this. My first instinct was to run and tell my sister and ask for help, but Maddie grabbed my arm tightly and with a full onset of streaming tears said, please just sit and listen to me. So I did, long into that night. She talked continuously until finally, as she grew tired, we both laid back on the stoop outside the wedding hall and looked at the stars flickering in the darkness. I told her about how I had once believed that I was from Mars, and she whispered to me that she often dreamed about what it would be like to live on another planet. Then, without any warning, her parents burst out of the hall and with slurred voices announced to her that it was time to go home. I don't remember what they looked like or even what their names were. I just remember them grabbing her by the arm and tugging her toward the car. When you were 10 and confronted by something like this, I suppose that one can be forgiven for not remembering every little detail. However, what I do remember is Maddie. In my mind, it feels just like it was yesterday. I can still see her curly black hair dangling across her cheek and little specks of reflected starlight twinkling in her eyes. I watch her through the images of my old memory, and with one last burst of bravery, she breaks free of her parents to give me a hug and say quickly in my ear, remember me, but please keep my story a secret. And just like that, the night ended. My family returned to the campground for one last chance to sleep to the sounds of ocean waves, reminding us that the rest of the world was very different than our little hometown. When we woke the next morning and began packing up for the long four-day drive back to Iowa, I kept thinking of Maddie. As I watched my imperfect family move around like ants at a picnic, I felt like something had changed in me. I was not the same person anymore, or at least I had lost something deep inside of myself. I don't know what causes human children to begin the process of changing into adults, but I think for me began that night when I received Maddie's story into the person I was becoming. I could not unlearn the fact that human beings can hate so much that it can destroy another person's life. Now that I am not 10 years old anymore, and I've experienced so many other places beyond that little place in Iowa where I first began my life journey on Earth, I know all too well the ways negative experiences in our early childhood can haunt us for the rest of our lives. When humans are young and not aware of anything outside their immediate family or neighborhood, our memories seem to have the ability to make deeper roots. They spread throughout the folds of our brain and our perception of every future thing that happens to us gets processed and filtered through those tentacles. For some, those early event filters can prevent us from ever being happy or impede the development of our self-esteem, and for others, it makes it nearly impossible to find our way to being Okay. Back then, I was only 10. So the best I could do is listen and hope that Maddie would now have a memory of stargazing with a crazy dancing, possible Martian child as an alternative filter for the rest of her life. During the entire drive home, my parents said I seemed to be a million miles away. 
I even heard my mother say quietly to my father from the front seat of the car, I think Billy is starting to realize who he really is now. Something happened to him on this trip, and he is different. I think they said more, but the road noise and my siblings in the middle seats drowned out the rest of the conversation. I did get to experience the Seven Mile Bridge in daylight this time as we drove home, but even that enormous beauty and engineering accomplishment seemed less significant somehow. My parents even splurged the rest of their vacation money and took the whole family to see Lookout Mountain and the underground waterfall called Ruby Falls just outside Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have to say I quite enjoyed descending in the elevator those 26 stories to an amazing cave tour, but I experienced it now post-Maddie as a person who had definitely been to a place beyond Iowa. As we drove the rest of the way home, There were no gyrating outbursts from my father, and my mother seemed even more in love with my father despite the experience. Our body odors grew in potency with every mile we traveled, but I hardly noticed. I accepted my place in the back jump seat, facing my past, and with each nightfall, I gazed up at the stars and wondered if, hoped even, that Maddie was going to be okay. Until this moment... I have never told anyone about Maddie and her story. I did not even tell my sister, who I told nearly every other secret in my life. However, I never forgot Maddie and the promise I made to her. Even now, I have changed her name and altered some of the details to honor that promise. I am sure that if Maddie ever listens to this story, she will recognize enough to know that even after four decades, I still remember her. And that night when her story took me beyond my protected homeland of Ottumwa, Iowa. Because of all the things that happened on that trip, I learned to never equate being okay with being perfect. Okay exists somewhere in between the messiness of life and the best a human can expect to be. Throughout my life, I have thought of Maddie most often during those times when I've had no clue what to do in a new situation. I relive that stargazing moment on that stoop in an instant. And then I make the best decision I can as the imperfect human being I am in that moment. With decades of life on this earth, I have slowly learned to be okay with that.